Hello, and welcome to Making the Case, a podcast produced by the Tennessee Attorney General's Office. I'm Samantha Fisher, Communications Director and Host. The Tennessee Attorney General's Office is the law firm for the state and manages a wide variety of cases, antitrust, consumer fraud, environmental enforcement, and much more. The work is complex, challenging, sometimes even controversial. If you like history and law, come along with us for Making the Case. Thank you for joining us as we conclude the story of the famous Tennessee coup of 1979 with Senator Lamar Alexander, attorney Hal Hardin, and political consultant Tom Ingram. Governor Alexander, at the time, was sworn into office three days early to prevent the release of 52 inmates from prison, inmates suspected of paying their way out through high-level connections to the outgoing Governor Ray Blanton. Taking the oath early had never been done before, but the result was not only effective, it set the political tone in Tennessee for many decades, and still the story continues to make headlines. Did the president at the time, Jimmy Carter, know what was going on? Hal Hardin explains. It was uh, several years before I talked to Carter about it. I was on an airplane with him from Atlanta to to San Diego, and... uh, we were both up front, and uh, I said, I never asked you about this, and, and I said, but was that any kind of embarrassment to you? And he said, well, let me tell you, I had this little thing going on in the Middle East where they see Palestine That's right. <laughs> the Arabs. And he says, and I, I knew he didn't like Blanton. He never liked Blanton. He wouldn't even ride in the same car with him. But la- later he, he sent me a nice letter and said, you know, looking back, you did the right thing. That meant a lot to me. I'm sure you all saw the recent news um, out of Hamilton County where they cracked the cold case with uh, the murder of Samuel Pettyjohn. Does it strike you that all these years later, some 42 years later, the reverberations of this political crisis, this scandal, that it's it's still showing up in the headlines? It does. I, I, I am glad what they did in, in Chattanooga, and I'm glad what the uh, district attorney over there did. He, he, he did a heck of a job in, in keeping this cold case going uh, until he solved it. So just to review, uh, Petty John had been cooperating with authorities in the federal probe when this right. happened. He had extensive knowledge of the pardons plot. The DA said that he basically knew how the whole thing worked. And on February 1st, 1979, he was shot execution style inside his beer store. And they just now figured out who did it. All these folks are deceased now, so there's really nothing to be done except to say that you understand the better, I think, the depth of the criminal activity that was happening at the time. Exactly. Well, didn't, didn't, the, didn't a reporter ask the Hamilton County District Attorney whether the governor's office might have been involved in paying the hitman, and he said yes. Well, he, he did. And I, in, in my conversations with him about that particular point, he, he said, I don't know if the governor personally uh, took any money. Uh, he said that he had been advised by one of his witnesses that fly in the governor's private plane, that the governor would be drunk, and all of his aides would be throwing these pardons in front of him, and he'd be signing it. But he had no direct proof that the governor was taking uh, uh, money in the, in his investigation. 
on the Chattanooga, if you'll read the first chapter of Keel Hunt's book, Coup, which I just reread, he writes about Bob Roundtree showing up in Mayor Lebanon, Mayor Jack Lowry's office late one afternoon right. in the beginning of this whole story. And Bob Roundtree is part of this cold case that you just to which you just referred. Yeah, I can't say enough about Keel Hunt's book. I mean, it it is it reads like a thriller. It, it was a thriller. <laughs> you know, no, nobody talked about this case uh, and what happened. Thirty years, several times, Bill Leach and I get together and would say, "You know, we need to talk about that night, and we will some of these days." You know, we never ever did. It was not anything to celebrate. We, we, we were not dancing in the end zone. There's no joy in it. It was a it was a sad day for for. For everybody, until Keel Hunt started investigating it and, and getting into his book, and, th- and then we all started, you know, reliving it and thinking about it again. At this point in your lives, when you look back at these events that happened in your 30s, as we talked about at the beginning of the interview, what other takeaways do you have now? Well, I do think it was a different time, uh, and it was a time that we can all go back to and learn from when people of both parties did work together. I don't discount the uh, contribution of the moment of the 17th to to the working relationship, but I think there was a there was a generally a sense of working together in Tennessee. In addition to that, and uh, and plus Lamar did a great job of working with them. I mean, it, it took it took it was a two way street, and the communication and the camaraderie and the collegiality and the collaboration that occurred between. A Republican governor and Democratic leaders for eight years was phenomenal. And it's something we could all learn from in, in every state and in the country right now. I would say that um, there's no doubt this internet democracy we live in today contributes to pushing people toward the extremes and makes it harder to work together. No doubt about that. But it wasn't a piece of cake 40 years ago either. I mean, if anybody who read the front page of the banner in the Tennessee every day could see huge differences of opinion. And um, the Democrats were so in charge most of the time that they just stomped on Republicans rather than worked with them. The one difference, though, was that there was uh, a great deal of um, respect for each other. And I mentioned earlier that most of us who were busy on that afternoon working together didn't know each other very well at all. Yet we had respect for one another based upon reputation. And there was a lot of that then. So I went into that whole day with the presumption that everybody I was working with was going to try to do the right thing. Now, whether that would be uh, the same thing today, I don't know. But I do believe that that tradition from 1979 lasted for most of the last 40 years in Tennessee through successive Democratic and Republican governors and Republican and Democratic legislatures. And I think the state benefited enormously from, from that kind of government. And, you know, Bill Leach, uh, he would often say, you know, I, I represent the state of Tennessee. That's my client. Uh, that's Republicans or atheists, Christians, Muslims, whatever. I'm, I'm the lawyer for the state. I have a theory that the, uh, the political competition that existed began to exist between the parties in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s tended to attract sort of the cream of the crop to politics because it, people – you know, they like to play in a game that's where the best players are playing and where something useful can be done and that can be fun. And so we were at a time then in the late 70s where 
politics was attractive to really talented Republicans like Howard Baker and Bill Brock and Fred Thompson. And on the Democratic side, you had uh, Hal Hardin and Mike Cody and Al Gore coming along. So it, the, the competition brought out the best in our, in our state. So you had very good people working in politics and government who at other times might have been doing something else. You know, if you, if you go back through the, through the history of Tennessee politics, I mean, there are so many outstanding Democrats and Republicans uh, who not only were leaders in the state, but leaders in the country. And um, I do think it was the best and the brightest that came to politics during that, that time. And uh, I think we've gotten away from that. And uh, now those people, same people are discouraged from getting in. And uh, the challenge is to, to, to reinvigorate interest and energy. All right. Well, gentlemen, have I left anything out? How much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> I know we could go on and on. The only other best quote that we haven't mentioned is Ned McWhorter's, which came right after I was elected in 1978 in the Capitol Hill Press Corps, which was sizable at that time. There were a lot of reporters, and they were accustomed to covering a Democratic environment. They went up to the Speaker of the House, McWhorter, and said, what are you going to do with this new young Republican governor? And he said, I'm going to help him because if he succeeds, our state succeeds. Now, that came a few weeks before January the 17th of 1979, the early swearing in, but it did suggest the environment that, that, that a, a, good, a good thing about the environment that I had a chance to work in. And that truly played out. It did. Well, Senator Alexander, Tom Ingram, Hal Harden, thank you so much for coming on Making the Case. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Making the Case is a podcast produced from the Tennessee Attorney General's Office. You can learn more about the office at tn.gov slash attorney general. <laughs>